Woodville's Business Startup Podcast. In this podcast, we'll help your new business thrive. Giving you tips and advice from people who've done it, survived and prospered. Introducing your host, former superstar DJ turned accountant, Michael Godsmark. Right, so Hamad, thanks very much for um, doing this podcast with us. Um, Sure, come up with a loads better intro with that as we go. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just crack on, as you say. So, oh, um, yeah, just introduce you, Hamad Mean from Unbranded Manchester. Um, tell us a little bit about you and your company. Okay, so um, thanks for the intro. I'm Hamad, and Unbranded are a digital agency. Um, we like to pitch ourselves as being a digital agency like no other, simply because. We've um, started off, well, it was myself first, with a development background, computer science graduate, and knowing more about the development and programming side over and above the prettiness of websites. Um, And we're led from there in terms of creating our own tech to build websites even easier and processing things down. Off the back of that, we've taken the whole systematic approach towards... um, business audits and research to a very, very programmatic approach so that would drill down into the core offerings of what people are doing. So now as an agency, we're um, effectively creating websites that sell and do really, really well online via our approach of being, well, in the easiest way possible, really, really anal about every single little touch point from start to finish before going live with the site. That's great. Good to know. And uh, you sort of stole my first question, really, which was tell me a bit about your about your business and background. So, what? Well, you've told us about what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. What What's your background before then? Like, um, what What were you doing before you got into business? So, um, I was in university. I graduated with a computer science degree. Yeah. At the time. Um, my mates were all applying for jobs at Google, Goldman Sachs and Facebook and for the life of us I really, really didn't want to get into that world. I thought that I know what I'll do, I'll become a teacher and teach abroad in different countries. Right. So or I computer pla- science you were thinking? No, teach anything. Like I just right. wanted to get out of the UK. I didn't put much value on my degree as a whole. I always thought it's something that you can fall back onto. Yeah. But I'd like to travel basically and yeah. not be held down. So um, I applied for loads of jobs in different countries, and the first one to get accepted was in South Korea, in a little village school in the middle of the hills. I taught there for a year, and um, in that year, I pretty much decided that I did not want to be a teacher, so (laughs) (laughs) I came back. What were you teaching over there? Um, I was teaching primary school kids, um, just all the subjects within primary, so English, math, science... P. Presumably in, in English. All in English, yeah. Another secret, no, um, no. secret talent. <laughs> I did the, um, it's called the CELTA certification. Is that like TEFL? TEFL were better. Right, okay. Um, that's how I told everyone <laughs> about it. But yeah, so um, yeah, when I came back, I was in a position where I was a year behind, be, behind all of my friends. Yeah. They were all now in set career journeys and set career paths. Yeah. And I was in this little bit of a floaty stage at... I always say that I was never really um, told what you should do after university, how the process works and what your degree is worth. I I had almost this idea in my head that if I was going to go and work at somewhere like Google that I should know everything about the type of programming they want. I didn't realise I'd be starting at the bottom, so I was a little bit reticent about jumping into it straight away. So I just thought, you know what, what's easy? Website. It's literally the easiest (laughs) form of programming known to mankind. So I just um, started doing these talks 
to um, new businesses in and around Manchester where they're starting up a new business and they've gone to this like little seminar. I managed to blag my way on to talking to these same people about the need for marketing themselves and websites and all of that. And I started selling websites just through that. And then from there, everything just naturally progressed by luck more than anything, falling into the right circles, talking to the right sorts of people and progressing on from there. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, I never knew that about South Korea. Oh, no. Yes, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that, that is really interesting. I think doing something completely different. I, mean, I was reading a news article at the weekend mm. about how you're talking about sports stars and how there's often a big focus on only doing one topic for like 10,000 hours. You think like Tiger Tiger Woods, the yeah, example, a news yeah, article yeah. where it's nine months old, he's stood there with a little putter mm. that his dad drilled down for him. Whereas um, I think they were comparing him to Roger Federer and obviously, well, if one of the greatest, if not the greatest mm. tennis player ever. Um, and how up until 15, 16, he used to do a lot of different things. Mm. And I think that I think that applies itself really well to business where it, I think it's good to give yourself a broad range of experiences because it just teaches you that it's not just about doing the one skill that your business does. There's yeah. so much more around it. Well, this is what I was trying to get up before we started yeah. recording, actually. Yeah. So I mentioned to you about how the entire industry of, like, web design, digital marketing, and all of that, it's kind of new in the grander scheme of things in terms of the industry. And a lot of people who are starting up digital agencies or digital marketing agencies, they've come from one agency where they've learned how they do things, and then they start copying and pasting effectively the exact same process themselves. Whereas with me, it was the case of... You had to look at everything with fresh eyes and rawness because you came from nowhere. You didn't know what the right way of doing things was or what the wrong way of doing things was. But then at the same time, there was this level of like confidence that had to be achieved where you realise like, well, do you know what? Everyone's had to make this up because the industry's so new yeah. and some of them have done all right off the back of it. But really, once you started looking into it, it was, well, actually, they just managed to sell more to their clients as yeah. opposed to naturally necessarily being better at it than other yeah. people. And the more that I started getting into it, the more that I realised you've got this market of um, businesses that are effectively all carbon copies of one another and... You had us coming along who, like I said, you, you you frowned a bit when I said it originally. Like You're making it up as you're going along, but you're looking at it with such raw, fresh eyes yeah. that you actually look at the problem and you look at the best way to resolve it. Yeah. And then you experiment and you try things that fall out of the norm. And because of that, well, you end up where we are, where you've ended up creating new products and new routes to market and new ways of delivering things that nobody else has ever had the foresight to touch on because yeah. all too busy copying off one another. Yeah, I didn't mean to frown. <laughs> I think maybe I was thinking about, um, when you mentioned about Fresh Eyes, I was uh, recently listening to a guy called Will Farnell talk. Okay. And he's got a, a great accounting business down in Norwich, called Farnell Clark mm-hmm. and um, when I saw him speak he, he was saying he did his training in industry now mm-hmm. a lot of accountants who are in practice have com- gone through a practice background so they're copying methods going back probably yeah, decades there you go, whereas exactly. like Will Farnell said like the best thing about him and probably the it's similar the worst thing about him mm-hmm. uh, about his background is he, he didn't come from a practice background so he was like in 2007 I think mm-hmm. setting up in setting up his practice and mm-hmm. he thought well what does a customer want and then he was like the first digital UK practice in the UK no, uh, you see there you go yeah yeah, so go, yeah. yeah I completely agree so, so you've like flipped it on its head mm-hmm. from 
okay, I'll copy what my boss was doing, but do it a bit cheaper, yeah. which is probably what I did. <laughs> Versus, okay then, what does a customer actually want? Mm. Because when I came to you for a website, yeah, I want a nice website, but what do I really want? I want someone to contact me off the back of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's always the afters, as mm. someone like Andy Bones would put it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so you, you said you looked at what was right and what was wrong. Mm. Is there anything you did early doors that because you didn't have that experience knowing what you know now you would have done differently I'd have started off by pricing ourselves differently would you actually no I take that back I feel like everything that we did in the the learning curve that we had at each stage of that development so say for example now if I tried to deliver a website in the same way that I did five years ago, mm-hmm. that wouldn't, that would be completely unacceptable, not fit for purpose for the clients that we're working with, right? Because you were rattling them out in a couple of weeks. You were coming up with the content yourself, drawing up a design really, really quickly and throwing it out to a client. But then at the same time, that client was paying £400 for the website. They, were, they didn't know what they wanted and it was one of those typical relationships of, I want a website with these pages, go and do it for me. So yeah. I was just nodding. I was a nodding dog almost, and I was doing exactly what I was told to do, and the people who were working with me were doing exactly what they were told to do yeah. by the client. And the reason why that wouldn't fly now is because, well, the clients don't actually know more about digital than us. We tell them how it should be, yeah. and we advise them on how it should be, and our research process figures out exactly how it should be as well. So that you end up at this point where... It's like I said, it's not fit for purpose doing what you did originally. It's completely different now. Yeah. And what did you do right early on? Um, you say nothing. <laughs> it's one of those things that I've, I always feel like I always did my best yeah. for every single client at every stage that we yeah. were at. It, it, there was no stage where I ever thought, like, this client is too small for me. I'm too yeah. good for you, yeah. yeah. What it was was that th- this is the best client ever. Yeah. And I was always taking on the next step. And I was like, I'm going to show them how great we are and what I can do for them. But it was... So you'd always go above and beyond in terms of what you're trying to deliver, yeah. regardless of the price point, regardless of who it was. And I'd say that's what I did right. I treat everybody fairly, yeah. and I treat everybody like they were the most important person in the world. And because at the time they were, and then as time's gone on, yeah. I still say this to clients now. Like when I I can go back five six years, and I've still got the clients that came with me, came yeah. to me for four five hundred pounds. They're still working with me right now. Yeah. And they're still on our service. They've still got websites through us. It's just that they mightn't be able to necessarily afford the new style of websites that we're doing and the new products that we've got because they haven't necessarily evolved with us. But then again, at the same time, a good chunk of them have evolved with us and they have been through iterations with us. And I've got two people on the books right now that are back from when I very, very first started. We're getting full-blown e-commerce websites of us because they still believe in us and they still know that we're going to deliver above what the rest of everyone else is doing. Yeah, brilliant. And... That's great. I, I think the key bit, well, I just wrote it down there, and I think this often is trying to go above and beyond of what you're trying to deliver. Mm. I think if you go above and beyond that, was it under promise, over deliver? Yeah. Is a, um, a quote I've heard from somewhere. 
You probably heard it off me, but I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always said at the same time, though, I, at the time, I never used to under-promise and over-deliver. I'd over-promise, then have to over-deliver on that over-promise as well, because... <laughs> Again, it, it always came down to value. Even if I was charging £900 for a website, at that point, that £900 was the most that I'd ever charged for a website. <laughs> and I didn't think that it was fair to be able to do what I did for the last client for these guys. I needed no. to give them more. Yeah, but I guess that's the learning curve of mm. just thinking, blowing heck, I've, I, I have got to go that extra yeah, step. And, do, yeah. and doing that research and... Mm like you say trying new things because you're going into something that's not been done before at yeah. least at least what's in your industry anyway what's been the biggest failure you've had or I guess another way or or another question if you want to answer well, mm. one or the other how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success um I wouldn't necessarily call it failure I'd call it a victim of circumstance in yeah. terms of a series of events occurred where um, we won't go into too much detail about the series of events but toxic people coming into the business and having an effect on the business and drilling it down them that same personality getting rid like pushing clients away pushing stuff away and really really well forcing you to go right back to the start and brink of where you came from and having to reassess and reevaluate everything that you're doing now that's where I took great value from because it happened after about three, four years of operating. And what happened was after the whole, let's call it the toxic period, um, I came back to it and looking at the business and looking what we were doing, I had the years and years of experience of what we'd already been achieving for clients. And I realized that now was the opportunity to redo and rebuild everything, yeah. the way that we present ourselves, the way that our propositions are developed yeah. and start it all from scratch in like a much better way. Effectively, yeah. yeah. And then all of the new hires that came after that, yeah. they were brought on with a new way of thinking. And there wasn't this, this I, I, in fact, before before that event, you always had the dream of transitioning naturally into this new way of thinking and this new way yeah. of behaving and dealing with business full stop. But it never seemed to happen. It was always like two weeks away, two months away kind of thing. Yeah. But that whole event, because you had to take stock and effectively start from zero again, yeah. it was one of the biggest blessings in disguise. Yeah. And I remember feeling at the time that this is a real blessing that I've got right here. And I've got to take full advantage of it and push my way forward yeah. to make the be very, very best out of it. Yeah, and I think that's what differentiates people who may not make it in business to people who take that next step because you will always hit a ceiling mm. and there will always be an incident of toxic people or toxic situations yeah, or yeah. customers that might not pay you mm. or just something that you've never dealt with before mm. because you've never worked at that level in yeah, business. Yeah. And it's working out what those lessons are mm. and trying to see the positive as difficult as that can be mm. and I, well, I remember the incident as difficult as that can be mm. going okay then that didn't work yeah what do I need to do differently next yeah. time but I think um, that to a certain extent that life especially in terms of business it is full of these not so great as that one, but you've got yeah, many oh, events all the way yeah, through. Yeah, decisions you make in a day. <laughs> yeah, effectively. But when when you think about it, like the wrong sorts of hires, the wrong sorts of product offerings, we've been through it. We've yeah. trialed things and said, you know what, we're not the best at this. 
are we going to keep on trying at it or are we going to focus on what we're really really good at yeah. and taking that step back and taking stock and saying well actually do you know what why don't we just for now focus on what we're really really good at and then move on forward after that to effectively make it so that well that, that whole decision process of saying yeah. this is what I'm going to do and being able to reevaluate on this continuing basis where you're effectively looking at what you've got and redoing it all over again yeah so what are you working on currently at the moment then what have, have you got rid of, have you stopped a product or service recently and said do you know what we're going all in on x or mm. so i'd say that in terms of or is there anything you're focusing on in particular well right now um one of the main things so we, we spent maybe the the last year or so looking at our actual product offering mm-hmm. and how we can tie it down and we can create the processes around it. And I tell you right now that I think we've got it. We've got that down completely. Um, yeah. From the research process, every single task outlined in there is got a process behind it, fully written up with every element that you need to consider within it. Um, the same goes to the whole development of projects. But the most recent learning and the development process that we had was you can do your research, you can have a design made and you can have the development perfect, research being perfect, design independently being perfect and then the development being perfect were all great but the, the communication between all three points wasn't good enough yeah. in the process between, well we managed to get the... the the research communicating the, the design, but then the design to the development there was all there was what felt like there was always like this loss of yeah. communication you mean internally there. within the team. Internally, yeah. yes, 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 and because of that, you ended up not delivering the very best that you could. So yeah. we had to take stock again and look at exactly how we're doing that. And again, we feel like we've got that. We created new templates, new processes, exactly yeah. how that process will work. But the very latest one is um, looking at how we onboard new business. Yes. And this one's really exciting because we created um, a platform that effectively gets anyone to the top of Google, yeah, within WordPress. As, as we well know. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, we started getting a lot more inquiries because obviously we did it for ourselves with the whole yeah. SEO Manchester search and that. Now, with and that... What, you guys are ranking top for that now? Yes, we are, yeah, wow. yeah. And obviously we don't do SEO either, so we're not trying to go for it. It's just because the website's built so perfectly and everything's delivered so perfectly, Google's respecting that more than people who are artificially trying to get backlinks to the website or anything like that. Now, Is is that what you call black hat? I know, I wouldn't call it black hat. I would just call it uneducated SEO. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I know that's a contentious opinion, but it's true. So anyways... (laughs) Moving on from there, what we found is we started getting new inbound inquiries and there wasn't a process behind how you deal with a cold inbound inquiry, let's call it. Somebody I've never dealt with before and how I onboard them. It's always been for the entirety of our life a referral of a referral of a referral. (laughs) Well, so we got you. Effectively, (laughs) effectively, yeah. And it's always worked really nicely because somebody's already bought into you before they call you. Now, at this point... We've had people calling us up for, for example, for SEO, yeah. but we don't do SEO. 
we're going yeah. to sell them a new website yeah. instead because that's how we deliver SEO. Yeah. So how do you approach that? How, what do you do when they first call you up? How do you approach that conversation and how do you broach it? Yeah. Or if they fill in an inquiry form, do you email them back and say, let's talk? Or is that a bit too pushy? Yeah. Or do you email them back and say, here's some information for you for you to ponder over? Yeah. And it's a create, the case of creating a process out of that. Having a look at, do some due diligence on the client to begin with. Do they look like they're the right type of fit if, in terms of where they currently are online, yeah. where they are financially, and where the size of the team and their yeah. ability to scale up, what their plus points about them as a business. And then once you've made that decision, which process should they go into yeah. and how will I deal with any of the points of pushback at each at each decision yeah. point within that workflow and kick back and I've got to tell you now that that's a hell of a lot more difficult than figuring out the development process, figuring out the design process because it's so it's so loose in terms of um terms of exactly what to expect from these people it can be somebody from a driving school coming calling you up who's self-employed and will a never want to use our services how do you address that do you just tell them to go away and never to call you again or what we've done in this case is do you offer to give them advice and send them an email of what they can do quick wins for themselves yeah, yeah without engaging another company yeah, because that, yeah sorry one well, it's a long game on that yeah, side. 100%, so yeah. establishing that there is a long game yeah. and figuring out how you can onboard those guys. But then the other, the flip side of it is, on our side, is don't repeat yourself. And that's everything that runs through the whole core of this business. Never, ever repeat yourself, whether it's work that you're doing or like a process that you're yeah. following. Well, I mean, you come from a computer science background. Mm. I know a tiny bit about that, nothing about mm. doing any code, but it's all about creating efficiency, isn't it? Effectively, yeah. yeah. So you'll be applying what you learned from your it's uni program, days exactly, yes. into the design space, which yes. could sometimes come across as quite... Yeah, but we're, we're process-driven that yeah, as 100%. well. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's the case of how can you get the best out of every scenario mm. without wasting time? So should I really be sitting there typing up a full email? Or should I create a library of content where I can pick and choose different paragraphs yeah. that fit to the person's inquiry yeah. with relevant case studies or PDF attachments or relevant yeah. reports that I can just fit straight into there yeah. and then how do you figure out the, the follow up process of that I, f I find I'm finding it I'm literally in the middle of it right now <laughs> and I'm finding it really really interesting because I'm going through emails that I've sent back to other people over the past yeah. like 6-7 months and seeing how different each one was but then trying to establish well did it work what's the common theme yeah well? yeah well, yeah. the questions from the back of it were, did they even reply, right? Yeah. Did I manage to get a call in with them? What were the points of pushback where they, yeah. the, where they weren't sure about it kind of thing? Yeah. And who were the ones that jumped on it straight away? And coincidentally speaking, it, it turns out the ones that jumped onto it straight away and pushed to be clients of ours were the ones where I was trying to push them away because I didn't think they were necessarily <laughs> suitable. <laughs> and they had to convince me that they were suitable, and I found that hilarious. <laughs> Well, I don't think that's too bad a position to be in. And, no, and it probably, I, I'm, I'm sure some of these sales guys will explain it much better than I would, mm. but it's just putting yourselves upon that next pedestal up, isn't it? If, yeah. Are you, like, you, well, you guys only have so much time as well, mm. so you, you don't want to overstretch yourselves and you want to do a good job yes. with all your customers. So to some respect, I would expect you to be picky, well, we are picky. We are picky. So the way that we put it is that we'll only work with um, one business from each 
specific business sector. Right, okay. So, for example, be it like personal injury solicitors, you won't see us working with another personal injury law firm Okay. outside of that, yeah. Because right. obviously if we pretty much guarantee you Google rankings across the board, yeah. we can't really go on and take yeah. a competitor and guarantee no. them the same thing. So what you've created there is you've created immediate demand, first come, first serve, basically, yeah? and we're not yeah. precious about which one. But then we've also said that um, we'll only work with you if we're effectively 99.9% certain that we're going to deliver. If we're not certain that we're going to deliver, then we need to um, turn the client down yeah. because what I don't want on my portfolio is failures. Yeah. I don't want people talking about us because obviously Manchester's a small place and... I don't want people saying, oh, yeah, I tried Unbranded, and it didn't work for me, but I've heard that it's working for others. It, I want everybody being an advocate and an ambassador of our brand, of exactly yeah. what we do, saying, I went to Unbranded and it really worked for me, or I went to Unbranded and they said they we're not right for them yet or they're not right for us yet, but maybe at this point in the future when we've achieved X, Y, and Z, then we are. Yeah, so you're talking about the onboarding process. Yeah. And, 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 and I know, you, well, I can appreciate you trying to, work it out as you go along mm. or make it up as you go along as you eloquently put it have you got any sort of CRM in place at the moment um, and if so what is it that you're using so we're using um, monday.com yeah is the uh, to yeah. manage the um, sales process yeah. and the beauty about that is it lets you um, create your own workflow effectively right, from okay. scratch you can create the columns that you want to yeah. be tracking and it's completely free it's like Oh, right, yeah, so you're on the free version. No, 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 not free, free. <laughs> no, oh, you have to pay. It's <laughs> about 100 and something pound a month. Oh, right, okay. um, but yeah, but I know there is a free version, isn't there? Probably, there's yeah, free yeah, version yeah. of everything, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. Um, in terms of the... I guess I'm thinking just for the start-up point of oh. view, you know, for people who are just coming in right from scratch. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. there'll be benefits in it yeah. for them, but yeah. we use it across the entire business, not just for onboarding customers and managing the sales pipeline yeah. we all manage um, time tracking across development and content planning and overview project management we use it from to accounts keeping reminders of um, when bills need to be paid and income and payments and uh, in fact let me just quickly click onto it now um, I'll tell you exactly what else we use it for yeah. so you've got project management you've got your individual to do's lists yeah. you've got a wish list on there so that anybody in the team can come in and just start yeah. adding I want this within like our process or I think that this should be within our product offering yeah. and it's tiny little features and because it's just there within the CRM yeah. itself yeah, so you can be added to like a Trello or something yeah, yeah but in terms of just because it's just there all of the time and everyone's accessing it just yeah. to run their day to day life it's not a different thing or something that they have to wait to have a conversation about it's just there they can be like oh right I want to let's click on it and see what one of the latest ones was I want a style guide for Illustrator made. Boom, that comes in and gets whacked in, and then somebody yeah. has to go and action it yeah. if it's deemed of value. Yeah. But you, you get all of these. We've got about 50, 60 points in our current okay. wish list. We have a meeting about, and you go through yeah. point by point. Yeah, yes, yeah, so how often do you have those meetings then? I say at the moment, like, at least once a quarter. Yeah. But it's whenever you do it, it's not it's so rigid and structured. You do it yeah, as yeah. and when you see that the list is starting to build up, yeah. and there's a lot of stuff in there that could be of value that should be implemented before yeah. the next project yeah um, and in terms of having those 50 60 things we might link in with the next question when you feel sort of overwhelmed which I imagine that you could do off that 50 60 yeah I'm just having a quick look now mm. wow yeah there's a few things on there yeah do you ever look at that and feel overwhelmed or 
if you do ever feel overwhelmed, do you have any sort of tips or tactics? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know we're both on a fairly similar page in terms of running mm. a business and then having to do stuff like this. And then, yeah. And then try and grow it. But I guess if you've got any tips for other people that they might be able to apply in, in, in um, their business or for them personally, that'll help them just sort of so, hack through stuff. One thing on that, what I would say, is that I recognised my my strengths and my weaknesses and it was taking stock of exactly the type of person that I am yeah so it was a book that you got me actually the e-myth right oh, once I'd read that so I did buy you a book uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, within that I established that I've got two personality types from there yeah and both of them dominate within one another yeah one, the main one being the entrepreneur so I'll come up with a wacky idea yeah then I'll use the technician the effectively <laughs> but then I'll use the technician in me to try to prove a point quickly Right, yes. but now whenever there's too much work on, yeah, I'll go into complete technician mentality, yeah. and I will just only head do down. head down, get the work done. Yeah. Now that is the wrong way to do stuff, and I'm completely aware of it. Yeah. Because as soon as you take it right, so for example, right now we've got six months of work pipelined in yeah. already. Um, but if I take my eye off the ball now, it's going to hurt me in six months' time. So I might be so busy right now that I've got enough work on, but by not focusing on the outside and the entrepreneurial or the management yeah. side of the business... Yeah, potentially hindering the pipeline. Exactly. Later on, yeah. So the advice that I have is find that person who fills your weakness. And in my case, it's Mariam, yeah. who... So, so is, I'm assuming she's the manager. She yeah, is the manager personality. Get the book. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely get that book. With her management personality, what she'll do is... Obviously, she's my wife as well, so she can recognise. Yeah. She'll she'll pull us up and she'll go, "You're going, Hamad." She's read the book as well. Yeah. Hamad, you're going into technician mindset. Pull your finger out and let's make a plan. Let's yeah. make a plan of action and communicate that one. Why are you going into technical mindset? Because have a look at this overview plan that I've already made. These things that you're saying that you need to get done right now because it's on your head. I've penciled it in for two weeks' time. I already let the client know that it's going to be ready for then. So why on earth do you want to get it done now? And it makes you take stock stock of exactly where you're at and what, yeah. you're, what you're doing to yeah. the point where you're like, well, actually, do you know what? You are right. Instead, yeah. I want to spend the time at home playing with my kids or whatever it is yeah. kind of. And again, it's at times like that when you do get to take that step back and you're like, oh, well, actually, do you know what I might do? I want to have a think about the process of onboarding new clients. And that's more valuable (laughs) in the long run than get me head down trying to do a few little development jobs. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And in terms of working with your wife, Mm -hmm. um, me and you have had some long chats about this sort of thing and sort of pros and cons. And Mm -hmm. definitely on your side, it's pretty much mainly pros, if not all pros. Yeah. Yeah, typically you'll see when you Google this sort of thing is keep family yeah, away. Yeah, don't work with don't family, do don't work with your spouse, yeah. How have you made it work? And, and, and what tips would you give to other people who are thinking about it? Because I know, I mean, you've spoke about it mm-hmm. with, with sort of my wife at, yeah. at a time a little while ago and you give me some amazing tips which never worked. She went into another role and yeah. sort of um, fits now. But um, is there any sort of quick tips you'd give to people or so, things you'd say? Mate, whatever you do, you don't do X, Y, Z. So for a long time, she was in um, teaching. Yes. She was a director of learning at um, a high school near our house. And um, what I'd known for a long time, and I'd told her this for years, there will come a point in the future where you need to come on board and take on the role of managing this business 
right, because I can't do it. And this was way before I read the E-Myth. I said, I am not that person to A-manage staff. I don't have, there's something in me that can't, doesn't like confrontation. It's hard, yeah, 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 yeah. It's so yeah. hard. I'm not built for it. Like, I don't want to be <laughs> built for it. I'd prefer somebody else do it. Um, yeah. Down to disciplinary, down to planning things out, down to having taken stock or like I said a number of times I've taken stock and taken that step back yeah. yeah she's the one that had all of that in her and I knew it inherently in us that she was the right person for that and I think because of that when she came on board it wasn't just the case of come on board and do whatever the hell you want or come on board as a secretary and I feel like this is what yeah. a lot of blogs make the mistake of you're going to come on board and you're just going to help me out alright darling and it, yeah. it's almost that like misogynistic kind of thing like you're just my little helper whereas when she came on board I was like right First thing I did was I said, right, you take an equity in the business yeah. because you're my partner, right? And yeah. this is how we need to see it. Um, so she got, well, you did it, didn't you? Yeah. You gifted the equity over. And at that point, it was the discussion of, right, I will listen to you, but it's not the case of having arguments or anything like that. Everything's a discussion. And I think that one of the main things that I'd seen over the time before she came on board was we did a couple of house projects together. Yeah. And... She was a bit of a nightmare to work with, but it was the same role. I was the technician, she was the manager. I was the one that was doing concrete or electrics or plumbing or whatever it is. And she was saying, no, don't put that there. Or tomorrow you need to sort this out. And why are this here? Because the kitchen's getting fitted. Roddy, roddy, roddy. And despite it being really, really hard, and despite it being one of the most stressful times of our lives, we still managed to stay married through it. (laughs) And Well, I think doing that stuff anyway, regardless of whether your wife's telling you what to do or not yeah it's a pretty stressful time well no of course exactly yeah. but the fact that <laughs> we were doing with child then as well and yes we were <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so like it was hard and i recognize like me and her can work together yeah both inside and outside of work yeah. and when she came on board i know that she found it a little bit difficult because she didn't know enough about the industry yeah but what i was telling her at the point was um it's not about knowing anything about the industry it's no. about knowing how to manage and how to grow things and grow processes and manage a team and how to plan and that's where she got good and that's where she was good and I think it goes right back to what you said at the start which is she came in with a fresh set of eyes and that's one thing I always say to new employees and in my business Mm. is when you come on anything you see Mm. you're thinking bloody hell why are they doing that that way yeah 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 yeah. that's (laughs) I wouldn't do that that Mm. way then tell us because yeah. we'll just be doing it out of habit. Yes. And that's never the right way to do something. Yeah, yeah. It, could, it could be, mm. but it more often than not isn't. People just mm. fall into a rut of doing things that way. And I guess because she's obviously extremely bright, mm. <laughs> well-educated, it's just applying a different skill set or yeah. a managerial skill set to mm. a business. Yeah, no, you're completely right. I think there was an element of as well, like, you know, even though I was just having a go there, I was saying, you're my little helper. I did try to palm off loads of things onto her. I tried to palm (laughs) off payroll onto her. I tried to palm off um, managing the accounts and um, reconciling payments coming in and sending out invoices. And she was flipping terrible, like, (laughs) not adding VAT onto things and just stuff like that. And I realised, like, right, she's not here to take my rubbish jobs off of me. No. I've got to still do a well, lot of this stuff. people per hour for things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, what I realised was that her job is... Exa- I had to remind myself and keep on reminding myself is to manage the agency, to make sure that everything's planned in. And that's where her role starts. Outside of that, because she's going to be so involved in the conversations with me as to our business development, that's her other 
like additional role on top of that business development yeah. how can we make more money how can we do better and what do we need to do yeah. and then having those conversations and yeah. just by only focusing on that and not trying to shoehorn in or trying to get rid of little rubbishy yeah. jobs off of myself <laughs> yeah can you do this or can you do that yeah. it really worked out yeah. really really worked out and have you managed to sort of sort of keep your personal and business lives separate um, because like well <laughs> again we, we talk about this a lot mm. we've both got busy businesses mm. and it can take up a lot of thought space yeah and sometimes just having the wife or going away for a weekend mm. can cut you away from that and give you that yeah that, that brain space you need away from your business but i guess if you're working together mm. maybe you had an unresolved issue on a friday and then you're away till tuesday together mm. so i've just been with my wife but no issue but mm. something like that are you able to sort of keep that separation um or, or do you find you have to deal with it so before you go or the way that I've always been is mm-hmm. that as soon as I leave the office and I'm at home, I'm not thinking about work. I'm That's thinking good. about family, yeah. right? And I don't like to talk about work. No. And I don't I have to be in a very, very particular mood of absolutely relaxed, not have anything else on my mind, have no kids around us yeah. for us to be able to even want to consider talking about work. Yeah. She, on the other hand, is not like that. She will take a stress home with her. And she'll want to talk about it at home. Okay. And uh, that can cause a bit of contention between us because, well, I might wake up first thing in the morning and she'll say, Mad, I want to talk to you about X, Y, or Z. And I'll say, well, like, why? Why are you doing this on a Saturday morning? Can't we just have breakfast together and relax? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a bit of a balancing act because she can't relax until she's got it off of her chest. Yeah. But... I can't even comprehend having a conversation where I need to talk about work things without being in work. And we're not there yet with that. No. But it's not a problem that we can't resolve. No. Basically, half the time I'll push back and I'll say, I'm not talking about this now. Yeah. The other half of the times I'll give in and we'll have that conversation. Or, as what will happen most of the time, is I'll have a quarter of half of the conversation now. And I'll say, all right, leave it at that. Let me think about it. And I'll catch you later on today when I am in that relaxed mood and we'll catch up then. So then we'll both go our separate ways. She's half got it off of her chest so she can get on with her day. And I've got something for me to think about, which is just mulling away subconsciously. I'm genuinely not thinking about it at all, though, like at the front of my mind. That's good. But then when it comes down to sitting down and having the conversation, I'll say, yeah, why don't I just do this? Or what do you think about this? Yeah, because your subconscious almost processes it. Yeah, effectively, yeah. yeah. I was listening to a Josh Waitskin podcast the week Mm. before last, and he was talking about uh, the most important question. And he was saying on the podcast to get into the habit of asking yourself the most important question before you go to bed in the evening mm. there might I don't know there might be how are we going to re- um, sort out this particular staffing issue yeah, yeah, yeah. how are we going to get this new customer mm. or potential new customer over the line but not do it right before you go to bed do it say earlier in the evening then mm. the first thing when you wake up in the morning is to journal on it that's, like, uh, that's how we describe it so in the background overnight you're just dealing with it I remember it. a teacher of mine saying something similar just, just read the content for now and your subconscious will start to figure it out. Yeah. Come back to it in a day or two after that, yeah. and you'll probably make a lot more sense then. Yeah. Trying to understand it immediately, yeah. and obviously the procrastinator in me likes to take on, listen to the problem, and be like, "All right, I'll deal with it later." Like yeah. people hear that a lot from me, and I think a lot of it is just like, "I'll come back to it later," and yeah. then I do come back to it later, and I'll come back to it later yeah. with an answer. You mentioned about being able to sort of switch off when you get home. Mm. How are you able to do that, like, say, going from dealing with one or two or multiple crises in the office here? 
mm. to then just go in 3.30 picking up children from school mm. ah like, um, I mean, do you meditate? Do you read any no. passages? Exercise, or is it's a, or is it just you've got a switch in your head? Then? Literally, it's a switch. <laughs> you like. teach it some. <laughs> <laughs> um, as soon as I, um, as soon as soon as I come out of the office, yeah, I'm effectively switched off. Now, when you mention like crises and stuff yeah, like that, yeah, 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 we don't have crises. No, that's great. We don't have. Um, stresses at work because everything is so well planned because of Miriam because everything is in order and in hand you might have a busy day but it's no longer I remember when we first started used to be oh god like I need to get this website done before like 8pm tonight yeah Yeah, it's Mm. not that now at all it's just literally the case of (laughs) yeah just literally just the case of as soon as I leave like there's nothing that the rest of the team can't handle because you know you yeah yeah and, and it's you, trusting you know them days planned yeah. and Marion's dealing with all mm. that and obviously now we've got less clients than that we're actively working on at any one time because we're charging the right sorts of prices and we're giving them the right sort of attention yeah that means that the number of problems is limited and the foreseeable as well yeah like there's going to be an issue with this integration but you know what before it becomes a problem highlighted with the client that there might be a problem with this integration you're going to have to give us an extra week on it and then you you've taken the stress off immediately so you're yeah. not you, I don't yeah. I generally don't feel like time in and yeah yeah you start pushing things back and That's, again like I said before like because you're always planning like six months nine months ahead in terms of workload yeah like taking on a new job or worrying about finances isn't really a thing anymore it's yeah. because like the money will come in like we've got to take that for granted almost yeah, yeah. But there's not a lot to stress about. You're stressing about things. What am I going to do in six months' time? Yeah. And that's a lot easier to deal with then. Yeah. I've got no money left in the bank. Am I going to have to remortgage a house? Roddy, roddy, roddy. Like, it's more immediate, that, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess one of the key takeaways there is, if you are going to get your partner involved in the business, Mm. make sure you both read the e-myth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Copy each, both make notes, decide who's doing what. And if one of you is obviously like yourself who can do the technical and has got the vision, mm. you do that bit. Yeah. Just make sure that your partner, wife, husband yeah. has got the skills to manage mm. because that that is a completely different skill set, isn't it? But then it's a case of still sharing the knowledge, though, and still being yeah. open and oh, 100%, having the, yeah. every all of the skills that you learn from having a successful marriage you need to still apply in work. But it's a case that, like... So it can't be lovey-dovey in work or anything like that. When we come to work, we're professional, we're yeah, colleagues. Yeah. Right? Colleagues like with a really good relationship. Yeah. That's the way that we see it. And as soon as we step out, we're back to being husband and wife again. Yeah. So sometimes you get to have a little break during the day and you'll go out for lunch. Yeah. So you snap back into being husband and wife. Yeah. It might be a bit of work chat, but that's standard if you're going for lunch with your wife. Kind of or thing. colleagues. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you can talk about your kids, you can talk about school as well at the yeah. same time for them or whatever it is. Yeah. It's not a big deal. No, that's great. And then you mentioned pricing, which mm-hmm. uh, follows on to my next section really Go nicely. On, lovely. And <laughs> mentioned about how in the past you might not have been charging the right sort of prices. Yeah. What was your initial strategy with setting prices? <laughs> and I'll tell you mine because mine would probably be equally as bad is you'd get a set of accounts, you'd look at what they're charging, and then mm. let's just say they're charging 300 quid a year, I'd be like... <gasps> 
I do that for £250. And they'd be like, wow, yeah, that's amazing. And then you win the job because you're, you're cheaper. So, so I, I did a business plan at the age of 22 years old. And it said in my first six months, I should be turning over about £800 a month. Right, and I would have been chuffed, buzzing <laughs> with eight hundred pound a month. I would have been the richest. How'd you get guy. to eight hundred pounds a month? Was that like your rent plus food, or I didn't even have rent. I was living with my brother. Oh right, right? Okay. so it was. I got eight hundred pounds to go out partying to do yeah. whatever it is that I need to do. It's just all free money. Yeah, you've gone from a uni wage of student loan, effectively, of like yeah, three grand every few months, yeah. to whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. But so I was in this position where I didn't have any overheads at yeah. all. I had to make up some overheads, like, oh, yeah, I might need to pay £15 towards the electricity. Yeah, get like, an iPhone 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it, with, that, with that in mind, because I didn't have any need or desire. Well, not no, I had the desire to make money, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the need or the necessity. I didn't understand how much real life costs. And because of that, I didn't also... Well, because I knew that was new to this industry and I was effectively making it up as I went along, like, I kind of knew how to... Well, I knew I was a good programmer, but I never really built websites before or anything like that. No. So I was trying my hand at everything and every single project was new. I priced it at... Well, I kept on trying to increase my prices, so I think I started at free. And then... what, sorry? At free. Free. I did a few for free. Yeah. Then my first one was about... yeah. 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 And I went to £95 for a full website. For full Seriously. Quid. 95 What year was this? That. 2011 or 12. And how long would that take you to do? Um, would that be WordPress then as well? No, WordPress WordPress existed, but I didn't use it. I wasn't no. even on to that yet. No. This was just static, flat HTML websites. Right, okay. It would take us maybe two, three days to do. <laughs> right, £95. I was chuffed. And yeah. then um, from there, I think I went to like £180 to £300. Then I hovered around a five £600 mark for a while. Then I managed to bump that up to eight £900 per website. And then I started pushing the board out to £1,500. Yeah. Where I thought I was like really like pushing B- the boundaries yeah, of what I was... Time. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I remember my first £2,500 website. The guy who had sold it to said this is the biggest expense that I've had to pay out outside of my van, right? And I remember thinking, wow, like websites are really, really important for these businesses. And then um, I think... So, it yes, t- it was that job that made you sort of almost see the value yourself. Um, I'd say that was the start of starting yeah. to see the value myself. Yeah. I didn't actually do take any action upon it. No. I just hover the prices around there. That's because at that point, we're talking about a year and a half, two years down the line, yeah. I was... I had staff that I needed to pay. I had rent that I needed to pay him. And I knew that I needed to win multiple jobs a month. Yeah. And the way to do that was by... The way to cover the expenses was just by increasing my prices. Yeah. The biggest step that I had was um, where I started looking at our overall process and started looking at everything that we were doing and saying... Do you know what? This is going to take a hell of a lot more time. I think it was around about the same time that I moved over to Media City. Yeah. So our rent went from like four or five hundred pound a month to close to three thousand pound a month, and that's a big jump. Like that's a member of staff right there. Yeah. And you had this kudos associated with Media City, and it was pretty. pretty Yeah, it's nice. (laughs) It is nice. Yeah. Um, So yeah, when we moved across, yeah, I managed to start. I had a certain amount of time of this as well where um, the toxic period had effectively yeah. come to an end 
and I had people that had left that came back and one of those in particular he'd worked at another agency and he came back to us and he goes imagine like you used to always think that we were doing things really badly that we weren't really like extra good at what we do he said I've just come from an agency a 50 person agency and he goes you won't believe the shambolic nature of the way that they operate and the way that websites are put together he said we are way ahead of our time with what we've been delivering and the prices that you've been charging are a hell of a lot lower than what these same agencies are charging and it was that wake-up call my wife had been saying it for ages you're too cheap uh, I'd throw that they're back. always right <laughs> they are they are but I'd throw it back at her what do you know about this yeah. industry you're just a teacher right and oh. <laughs> but, um, quickly argument and shoot yes yes indeed but then um, yeah it was it was that transition period where I think it jumped from like 2,000 to about eight to 10,000 yeah. but then it quickly like once I started realising that actually do you know what for me to be able to do the best job I can, I need to start timing these jobs. So we said, like, right, what does our dairy need to be? We looked at the industry, we looked at our overheads and what it costs to retain a good member of staff. Mm-hmm. And the dairy came out between 500 and 750 pounds a day. And from there, we started timing out every single task down to, like, literally six-minute intervals that are required for building a website from research to content to buying a domain name to changing name servers, setting up a Git repository, every single little task. It created, like, a six-page um, list yeah. of tasks. And the the value came out at um, just, I think, around, it was probably about twenty four, twenty five thousand pounds and I was like, well, bloody hell, no wonder I've not been grown at the rate that I want to, because I'm trying to do all of this work for, well, effectively around £250 a day day rate, which mm-hmm. is cheaper than what freelancers are charging. Yeah. So how on earth is this going to be scalable? So from there, it was the case of, right, well, you, you pay for your time now. Now, it wasn't necessarily thinking there's, there's a value to this, like, oh, so, uh, if you go to an artist, for example, and they, they've knocked up a beautiful painting. You've gone and met Leonardo da Vinci yeah. and he's knocked you up a beautiful little drawing. <laughs> as he does. <laughs> as he does. And he's um it took him it took him three hours to make it. Yeah. Right. How much is that worth, right? No, priceless. Right. It's priceless <laughs> not exactly um but like let's just even say uh, ten million pounds is what he could sell it for. Yeah. Right. But in terms of if he did it on hourly rate it's £60, £70, you see what I mean? And this is a transition that we're going through at the moment now, right now. We've been paying, we've been, we're in a position where we're on, um, we're charging for our time Mm -hmm. at a very, very fair rate. Mm -hmm. But we're going through the transition period of creating a portfolio of clients where we can establish the Leonardo da Vinci-esque like quality and and value, and value yeah. that our proposition has to offer. If I can come to you with twenty case studies of current clients who generated millions of pounds in revenue off the back of my product, then my product becomes a hell of a lot more value because there's nobody else like it. Yeah. And that's where I start to charge the value addedness. So yeah. I still don't think we're right with pricing. No. Nope. I think we're just fair. Yeah. Like you're you're paying for our time and you're getting a recompense. Yeah. He's literally paying for a painter and decorator. It's going to take you three days. He has three days worth of money. Yeah. But the problem is, is that that painter and decorator is a bit more special. Like he's 
he's creating artwork for you, he's creating something absolutely beautiful for you. It's not just the time that you're paying for. Yeah, and I, I have this conversation with some of our customers, and one of them in particular, he fits bathrooms for a living, and mm. he says to me, there's no way I can charge more for that because effectively he's competing against someone who would do it for less money. Mm. But, and these are the conversations we have, which is around... People aren't just paying for those five days in a bathroom. Yeah, they're paying to have used that bathroom for ten or fifteen years. Yeah. And if they've got a cheaper price, if someone will do it for two hundred quid less, mm. well, that person doing it for two hundred quid less has to cut corners, not cut your tiles right, so they're slightly wonky. It's not necessarily just that though. Mm-hmm. Right, we did a we did an experiment actually. We set up an online shop, and it was to sell Islamic art. Yeah. Now this Islamic art. Um, it was prints and canvases, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the margins on what we decided for this were to make it ridiculous. So let's just say, including postage, a single print would cost you £3. Yeah. Right? And we were retailing that out at about £20. Mm-hmm. Now, would you pay £20 for a piece of card? Like, is it worth £20? It's got a bit of foil on, or it's just in black ink kind of thing. It's it's debatable, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you can go to Asda and you can buy a piece of card for £30. Pence. Like, <laughs> what's the difference here? Or you can print out some of this art your yeah. own kind of thing. Um, and the same with the canvases. It would cost us about £40 to print the canvas, but we're retailing at about £300. Now, the the experiment here was, well, are people going to buy it, and what will they expect in return? So it wasn't, it's like you said, it's not, with a bathroom analogy, with ours it was, from the moment that you've ordered, you want the, you expect the experience to be swift and nice, right? Yeah. So the first thing that these people would get is they get an email, right, personally introducing yourself, saying, thank you for your order, it's going to be delivered on this date, and we might chuck in a freebie for your, uh, for yeah. example, Roddy Roddy Roddy. After that, it was about how is it packaged. Yeah. So we'd add ribbon to it, branded ribbon, brown paper, and then bubble wrap it. So it's really, really well packaged now. We'd work with you to ensure that it was delivered on the right date. Now, if there's a problem, if you, if you we even said that it says on the website, um, if there's a problem in the next 10 years, if that's canvas sags one bit you return it to us and we'll give you a brand new one if the paint if the if the color fades on it you return it to us yeah and we had people come to us and say oh um there was a slight dent in the frame we'd send them out a new frame straight away with the new print inside and they'd get back to us and say what shall i do with this slightly damaged one do you want me to return it no keep it as a gift for somebody else so now you're able to improve your perceived service offering but they're paying for it. Yeah. Now, the guy who's charging 200 quid less, he has to work every single day, every single minute of every single day to be able to make his money. So now you've got a problem with your bathroom and you call him back up. He's probably not going to turn up because no. he needs to make his money and he's not going to do it for free. But if you've made your profit and then some off of yeah. somebody, then it's part of your service offering. You know that you're just slightly eaten into a very high th- healthy margin, but by giving that extra service, do you know what you're going to get more of? More customers who are prepared to pay extra because you were there when you needed them and you you serviced them at that time of need yeah. as well. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to recite what I, something I was listening to last week, which had just gone from me, but um, who was it? We are a Chip Connolly podcast. Mm. The guy who, he had like a brand of hotels and he went into Airbnb as the head of something anyway. Mm. Really well esteemed in the 
boutique boutique hotelier business mm. and then went to Airbnb and well they've done alright haven't they mm. and he said one one of the staff away days he used to do with the senior, senior leadership team would be they'd ask the question what are we in the business of mm. and then you'd say um, well go on you tell me because I got it wrong before what, like what, what are you in the business of me personally yeah making money for other businesses <laughs> fine <laughs> Well, you've probably got to five questions down. So let's just say for me, mm. uh, we're in the business of accounts and tax. Now, right. So what are you in the business of? You can't answer with that same mm. answer. And you keep going down yeah. to almost find out what the unmet need is of that mm. customer you're trying to help. Right. So we have gone through that process yeah. without going through that process kind of yeah. thing. And it was the case so, of... So what was your answer again? Making money for our clients. Yeah. So <laughs> because at the end of the day, like the way that we put it, and this has been a part of our sales pitch, this is what Ridge, where the whole, um, what's it called the research docs would come from the yeah. data driven metrics for everything what is it the research documents I've seen for when literally you're right in oh, front of you here here's one yeah. right have a look yeah. so I mean, you're going amazing. into customer <laughs> scenarios personalities yeah. monitoring data in terms of how people are using Google and search how they're using your website and all of this kind of stuff now what that's leading on to is that well, then what it came from, what it stemmed from was, well, if people are going to be landing on your website, surely you want to be able to communicate with them in the sort of language that they want yeah. and give them the information that they're looking for. But most importantly, everything that they see needs to resonate with them from start to finish. Yeah. And the reason why you want it to resonate with them is because you want them to buy. And the reason why you want them to buy is because you need to make money. And by putting our entire focus on making money for our clients, it's driven everything that we do. We'll get your website ranking at the top of Google. We'll get your traffic coming through, and we'll get them converting as well. Yeah. That is literally everybody's dream in terms of business. Like, yeah. It's the only thing that people want, but it's like they still haven't learned yet. And the industry of business in terms of understanding digital still completely hasn't learned yet. They just say, I just want a website. But the same thing applies to you as well, like, I just want an accountant. Well, no, no, I don't just want a bloody accountant. What I want is somebody who is going to come and look at my books and say, you're hemorrhaging money right here, mate. You need to get rid of that and you need to go and do this. R&D tax credits. Why aren't you claiming for R&D tax credits? Right, let's go and put that in because you're in the process of saving me money and making me money off the back of it as well. And I feel like a lot of B2B businesses are effectively fall somewhere in that line of how can we help you make more money another perfect example is I was just on the phone earlier this guy called me up um, from a coffee machine company and um, he was talking to me about coffee machines I said we've got an espresso one at the moment he was like yeah but the benefits of ours is that the coffee tastes better people aren't going to nip out to Costa or to Starbucks or a coffee they'll be able to use it in house so you're going to keep them happier internally they're going to have barista style coffee from within the within the office your staff are going to be happier and that's going to make them work even better because they're not having to leave and they're not like what's it called um, not satisfied with the coffee offering mm. that they've got right now and it's like well do you know what you just relate that into trying to make me more money again yeah. you sort them out with a good coffee machine and you'll make more money and it, it, it's, yeah. it's the same thing throughout <laughs> though isn't it yeah 100% so um, and I guess a lot of this goes back to reading the e-myth and just yeah. what, because it, again it talks in there about the technician mm. and how most people who start a business think of it from maybe their previous job. Yes, and then that's and then, all that's involved. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than trying to create a business, I mean, because the document you've just been showing me is mm. a, a world away from where you was sort of 
what, four, five, six oh, years yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess going back to pricing, knowing what you know now, mm. is there any tips or advice you'd have told your £95 website self? <sighs> or, 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 or maybe you won't change anything for yourself? Yeah, because, see, I wouldn't. Because yeah, I, I guess wouldn't. you've gone through a lot of different experiences. Yeah, and but, it but, was... But what, but what about someone now starting off? If somebody was starting off now Not with a skill level... Not necessarily in your industry in sort of across business as a whole mm. and, and they're trying to get the pricing right because mm. it, it's an emotional subject and again we spoke about this before mm. where we come from sort of like working class backgrounds mm. and uh, I, I know we've had a conversation about 100 quid and how we think well, 100 quid's yeah, loads of money because yeah, 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 if yeah. you come from maybe a more affluent family mm. 100 pound would be like who'd do, yeah, who'd do I that I wouldn't for a, get out of bed for yeah, 100 pounds yeah. yeah yeah so you just have it's more emotional or it can be emotional anyway it's, it's from what you know and it's yeah. the value that you know now the way that I would put this even if you go back down to the painter and decorate um, mm-hmm. like um, everything I feel comes down to perceived value mm-hmm. and that perceived value is usually based on price so the painter and decorator who's charging £150 a day versus the one charging £60 a day I can probably tell you right now, I'd probably go for the more expensive one because I expect more from him. Yeah. And I know that I can be a bit more... Turning up on time. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice paint. Yeah, he's going to get right in the corners, yeah. he's going to get right in the edges. Be nice straight lines. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to take any any rubbish from him if he doesn't no. deliver that, right? There's going to be a problem. The guy, I've had the 60 quid, 80 quid a day, guys, and... When he didn't paint around the, the light socket properly, I was like, oh, just leave it, it's fine. I'll just do it myself yeah. later. Right, like, that's not what I'm paying for. No. So now, if you want to be able to do the best job that you can, you need to establish how much money do you need in order for you to be able to do that best job. Yeah. But corrective work. Every single, like, commercial activity usually needs an element of contingency for corrective work or overspill that should be charged for. So you add that in as well as an emergency. Then the next thing is, all right, if I want to scale this up and I wanted to hire somebody today, how am I going to get that extra money if I've only just covered my own bills with the fees? All right, so now that needs to ramp up my rate again, yeah? Yeah. Then it becomes down... Or you need to kill yourself working, working. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And obviously there's only so many hours in a day as well. So then it, it comes down to all right, am I just charging for my time or am I going to put on a bonus of value? So, all right, on any job that I take on, there's, um, I'll charge, I'll do a quote by the hour and then I'll bonus myself. I'll add an extra £300 quotation fee or whatever you want to call it. That becomes the overall fee. Yeah. Now, what that leaves you with is a potential to make a lot more money, but also you're looking at how you're going to scale that business. There's too many, I was part of this... um, they solopreneurs. It was a bunch of um, entrepreneurs who were starting out, and yeah. there was this like video network, and they were all talking about the problems. And I swear to you that almost every single person's problem was that they weren't charging enough. Yeah. They, <laughs> in the problem, they were saying, "I don't know how I can hire staff." And here, here was me was saying, "Well, just hire them, but where am I going to get the money from? Where am I going to get the work from?" And as well. For every for for the old Hamad, the old Hamad would have to sell two hundred websites yeah. in order just to make like a half decent website now. But the old Hamad would have delivered it in about the same time that I would take to deliver this one. So what now? I've, I've been able to do a better job. I've been able to scale up. I've been able to get the people that need that you needed internally without 
Well, just by charging right, like it, yeah. and it is the case of you need to think of all of the unknowns down to tax and office space, yeah. marketing, business cards, leaflets. If you are like your painter and de- decorator kind yeah. of thing, the time cost quoting. of a website, the time quoting, like it, it got the list is almost endless. And it, as soon as you start to build this list yeah. out and you start applying a time to it based on yeah. experience, you start to realise well, actually, yeah. And I think the key to it is working out what your value proposition is yeah. right at the start yeah. I mean um, the, the guys who uh, make the software that we use for pricing mm-hmm. called Go Proposal and James Ashford from there always talks about how you're not being compared to your competitors anymore mm-hmm. you're being compared to the best businesses in the world if you want something uh, off Amazon mm-hmm. you get it well it's prime day isn't it today yeah. like July 2019 mm-hmm. it's coming today it's mm-hmm. probably in Manchester definitely tomorrow morning yeah, anywhere yeah. else like I was on Virgin Train yesterday the app just works yeah. it's a nice service when you're on the train yeah. um, Uber you get mm-hmm. to London like where I've been this weekend mm-hmm. you just look on your phone select where you're going to yeah. the car comes and picks mm-hmm. you up and takes you mm-hmm. there you're being compared to that level of service mm-hmm. so you need to be oh, what, this is what I try and say to my customers and what we try and think about is how can you be the best in the world mm. and and again going back to another podcast I was listening to with the guys from Airbnb actually mm. they talk about 11 star customer service mm. and they go and they bit just it's like a thought exercise really where they say what's one star customer service mm. on Airbnb so mm. when someone is a bit late they, yeah. they let you in late they, the room stinks whatever mm. two stars gets a bit better three star and they did it all the way up to 11 stars mm. which was like you get private jet to the airport <laughs> you met by a Beatles style parade right. of people who were mm. all cheering your name nice you nice chauffeur like driven mm. and then as soon as you go up to that highest level of service mm. coming back down to what a five star service probably doesn't look that big a deal mm. it might just be that they get this this document that, 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 yeah. that you produce that yeah the old Hamad would have been like bloody hell I've got to do all that for a £95 website yeah 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 but it just goes like even just drilling it back to the um, the painter and decorator and if I was a painter and decorator now I'd probably dare it like £300 per yeah, person yeah I, think I would. right <laughs> yeah. but then after the job was done I'd come back in two weeks and I'd do an inspection how yeah. are things going are there any issues that need to yeah. be rectified take the pictures yeah. send it to the client right yeah. like let's get these sorted now now the customer service has just gone above and beyond yeah. right that customer's talking about me and he's saying do you know what I pay the extra but it was only afterwards that we moved we moved this drawer and we realised that a bit of the paint had come off the kind of thing moved. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they came and sorted it out I now know that I can call them back if there are any issues in it's that whole thing in fact we bought a sofa from sofa.com when they first came out yeah they were relatively new at the time and I think the sofa cost about two thousand and something pound it was the most expensive sofa I'd ever it was the only sofa I'd bought in my life but compared to the DFS ones that I was used to seeing on, on TV it was super duper expensive now there's some of the springs in the in the bottom of the sofa broke right and um my wife goes, I'm just going to ring them up just to see, like, how much it would cost to get some replacement strings. Hamad, you might be able to do it yourself, yeah? She rings them up and they said, we're sending a sofa technician to your house tomorrow and he'll replace the entire bed of springs. And she said, OK, how much is that? Oh, it's included. You've got a lifetime warranty with the sofa. Now, do you know the stress that that took off? It is worth every penny now. Yeah. I'll hand that sofa down to my kids. Bring it up in 40 years. <laughs> yeah, literally, I need a new spring. In the April, it is that beauty there. Yeah. Because even when the guy came, the guy goes, yeah, like, um, 
I said, why are you not just replacing the couple of springs that look like they popped out? Why are you replacing the whole bed? And he goes, the springs are only got a certain life in them. If I replace the whole thing, then you're probably not going to call again for another few years. That serves us the best. And boom, like, <laughs> it, it makes sense. But there was something interesting that I noticed. Their prices have effectively doubled for the same sofa that we bought at the start to where they're at now. So if they've seen the same thing, in order for us to offer this unparalleled service, we need to increase our prices to be able to maintain that same level. Because it could have knocked off the entire lifetime warranty. Yeah. Because they weren't advertising it, they weren't shouting about it at the time that I got it. But it's become some. It's become the reason that you buy our sofa dot com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess what we're saying is, even if you are a painter and decorator listening to that, you're only charging mm-hmm. sixty pound a day. And you think bloody hell, I can only go away with charging hundred and fifty pound mm-hmm. a day. We listen to this in twelve months because you will need to get up to three hundred pound a day. Mm-hmm. You just need to go through similar problems yeah. to get to that. But mm-hmm. you, you are right to, to to offer the best value you want. You just have to charge. Yeah good money yeah, your time needs to be made free and yeah. money is the, unfortunately the only thing that's going to give you, give you the opportunity to have that free time yeah. to look after customers yeah. and customer service has a value and it, it, I would even go as far as saying that it has more value than the actual bloody job like yeah, we were talking about that before weren't we yeah yeah oh well, there you go yeah and you mentioned about employing mm-hmm. when did you take on your first member of staff and that was about six months in yeah to work in. What was the catalyst for that? Just you were doing too um, many ninety-five pound websites. I was doing way too many ninety-five pound websites, but it coincidentally, been, I'll tell you what happened. Actually, I took on a job for a thousand pound. Oh, <laughs> and it was it was my first ever white label job. Actually, right. So this is how I fell into the white label development world. Okay. Where design agencies, creative agencies, PR, marketing, they were all trying to sell websites. All these guys charging twenty, twenty-five grand a website. Yes. Like, oh, who can we get to, to do the same it. work? Who's really good effectively doesn't quite value themselves yet well that and the <laughs> fact that they they were either outsourcing it india or they just they were they were over promising and completely under delivering on the under delivering on the websites yeah. so i met one agency and they came to me and they said right we've got this bit of a behemoth task of a website and we've got the designs and the designs were insane and I, they said are you sure you can do this for a thousand pound i said you're damn right I can do it right <laughs> and I was like get in a thousand pounds like I am going to be minted now and what ended up happening was I started Five on weeks it off work yeah, literally <laughs> <laughs> but I started on it and I was like oh bloody hell I've, I've bit enough more than I can chew here but I didn't want to let it down because I understood the value of having white label mm-hmm. of them supplying me multiple jobs yeah, yeah, over time and I said I can't let them down on the first job by showing nope. them that I'm incompetent and not able to deliver on a website that I said I should be able to easily deliver on so that was the catalyst, and um, it was actually a mutual friend of ours who um, recommended. <laughs> the one the who first... lives away. Yes. Yeah. Right. He um, recommended the first member of staff. Yeah. And I met with him, and I he said, still works for you now. Yes, yeah. he does. He came along, and he said, "I showed him the project that I needed him to work yeah. on his first project." I said, "Can you do this?" He showed me a couple of portfolio examples. I said, "All right, you've got a job." Yeah. So the first two months of him working for me. Right. For on, yeah. We're working on that website. But what I quickly realised is that me alone I was able to pay for his wages. Yeah. To cover like obviously his time on that website. You must go on a cheap day right there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um and then on the other flip side of it I was able to cover my wages and the office rent, which I think at the moment at the time was like three hundred and fifty or four hundred pounds yeah. a month. And it was then that I realised like, oh God, like Hiring people isn't that bad. I actually asked this um, a guy that I'd done a website for. He owns a company called Bits and Bobs, right? 
And I, do you know what? This is a really good story, actually. He sells. If you go into a corner shop or your convenience store, yeah, you'll see a little rack, and he calls it impulse purchases. I need a nail file, or I need some hair bubbles, or I need some bobby pins. It's all on this rack, right down from plasters to that kind of stuff. Blue tack. Yeah. Blue tack, yeah. there you go. You know the exact <laughs> ones I'm talking about. Right, and he puts them into convenience stores and yeah. he stocks them. It's like this ongoing refill and stock. They'll come in yeah. like once every couple of weeks and just top yeah. up the stock for you. And this guy, what he does is he buys all the stuff from the wholesalers. He has a team of people who unpack it all. So you'll buy a thousand nail clippers, yeah. unpack it all and rebag it into individual ones. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if you saw the outfit, you'd think, like, how on earth is he making any money kind of thing yeah like it's such micro micro transactions he has a house in Hale right and in the nice part of Hale as well right and his kids have all gone to private school off the back of that and I rang him up for advice before I took on the first member of staff and I goes to him I think I need to hire somebody but I'm scared what do you think I should do and he goes if he doesn't make his money fire him and I couldn't believe it. And he was like, it's not hard. He goes, if you take somebody on board, it's his job to make his money. If he wants to stay and work, he needs to give you enough work that he's making his money, right? And it was an interesting way of putting it, but mm-hmm. it took the fear out of us. I said, yeah. yeah, if he doesn't make money, then I'll fire him. Like, sorry, mate, you're redundant. Like, there is no work for you. You don't have a job. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. And Granted, I don't necessarily think like that now, but no. in terms of taking that first leap, like, it was a thing. I was a small business. I didn't have infinite stockpiles of cash, no. and I didn't have, like, a set workflow of coming in or retainers or anything like that. No. Everything was based on how and when, like, the winds of change were bringing in the work kind of thing. And it just so happened that I managed to be able to secure enough to be able to maintain them and for them to grow with the yeah. company. But outside of that, like... Um, I think that's needed for a lot of people who are starting off in business. Like to take that punt, if it doesn't work out, you're gonna to have to just tell them straight, "Sorry, it's not working out. See you later." Yeah. But nine times out of ten, what you'll realise is that them doing some of the technician work, in particular the technician work, by the email, <laughs> right? Yes, and you going out and doing what as a business owner, entrepreneur, like new business owner kind of thing is generating new business. Like that, that unfortunately as much as again e myth, as much as you might enjoy doing the technical aspect, you can't. No. Right. You need other technicians on board and you need to go and do the stuff that yeah. like well falls down on you, which yeah. is business development and banking, marketing. marketing, all of the other stuff that you never gave a second thought to when you started that business. Yeah. Yeah, so would that be the key bit of advice you give someone? Just for somebody in the first yeah. in the first yeah. part of their journey, yes. Yeah, After, and how's your thinking changed then as you've sort so of now, grown as an employer? Um, what we do with projecting ahead on everything, mm-hmm. you can start. To, so we need three new hires now. Yeah. Right now, I can tell you exactly what job roles they are and what we need them for. Yeah. Them. And and I guess Mariam has a big say in. Oh yeah, she defined them. It wasn't yeah. me. <laughs> so um, say, yeah, I just want to say that before you take her credit. <laughs> so, but on that point, it was the case of um, looking at the workflow that we got coming in mm-hmm. and saying, "All right, if we want to make more money, like Hamad's going to have to sell more mm-hmm. and get more incoming inquiries. So he's going to have to do, do more BD work. Mm-hmm. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to go into a nine-month pipeline." want to keep it as a six-month pipeline, yeah. generate more revenue in that six-month pipeline. Yeah. So the only way to do that is to get those people on board first, 
on board the staff first, get them th- into thinking our way, and we'll just divvy out the work. So everyone gets a bit of a lull, a little bit of an easy time for a little while, yeah. But then Hamad's working his magic in the background to, to figure <laughs> out that new business side you have of to stuff. Think like that, don't you? you no, exactly. Have to think like that, yeah. But then I roll on that new business, and then all of a sudden everyone's at max capacity again, and the yeah. money's coming in. And that's exactly where we want to be. So for each step in growth, it is literally the case of. Um, seeing where do we want to be and how long can we wait for that money to come in. So at the moment, I can, I can plan a year ahead. I could I could get rid of a few people here and I could say, right, we've got enough work for the next year. Yeah. But is that really where I want to be? And no. is, that, is that a tangible for a client who's usually got a need immediately, especially when they hear about our proposition? Well, why the hell would I wait a year for you to do this website for me to make me money if I can just get one built from somewhere else? Like, yeah. there's potential of losing out on it. And yeah. obviously, nobody likes to lose a lead once they've got it. No. Unless it's the wrong one, obviously, but that's a different story. Yeah, 100%. Um, good, right. I know it's starting to get quite tight on time. So, just gone to the next section, oh, God, which yeah. is... I oh know. Yeah. Do you need to email anyone? No, 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 no. no. Um, you mentioned before about when you first started business. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you first started up, you, how did you start to first win your first jobs? Like, where did they come from? Was it purely through referrals? Was it... So... Yeah. How did you start? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a good story. The, well, I mentioned before, the first job that I... Hold on. Yeah, so the first jobs that I actively went out for, I went to uh, this entrepreneurs event that was run by a charity, like that helps new people go looking at new business, teach them a little bit about tax, teach them all about this. And I don't know if you know, there was a band called the Inspiral Carpet from years ago. Yeah. Their drummer was leading this talk. Right. And um, I forgot his name now, but so I was talking to him. No, the, he he led the event and everything. He taught yeah. everybody. After that event, I went up to him and I goes, "Look, mate, like I'm getting into websites, yeah, and I feel like I can add more value to these talks. Like, I, I won't charge for it. I'll do it for free. Like, but can I come along to some of these talks and just spend ten, fifteen minutes talking about the need to get a website? Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, of course, makes perfect sense." So then, the next two, three talks, I'd pop along and I was presenting in front of twenty people. Really, who wow. were all starting off on new businesses. They all had the ideas. They all left a job. Like, I remember one of my first ones. She had left work as a corporate lawyer, mm-hmm. doing like high flying solicitors work, and um, she left that to start selling fabric online. Mm-hmm. And it was immediately after that I started emails started flying in like oh I need a website I need a website kind of meet and I was meeting these people in coffee shops here there and everywhere and I'd end up building them websites and just selling every single one of them yeah obviously (laughs) no exactly but um, rapport was a big thing there like just showing that look I'm a human and I can deal with you and being quite bluntly honest like look I've, I've not got a portfolio for you done a couple of free websites but look I'm a computer science graduate I'm talented and I'm a hard worker give me this opportunity and I'll do you a good job yeah and I can guarantee you I made zero profit on any one of those first jobs but <laughs> yeah, it was you took your time into account yeah. no exactly yeah, yeah. but um, in terms of uh, one of the introductions that I made through that was with a bank manager from NatWest and she started referring me work 
And she said to me, she met us at one of these events, and she said to me, have you got a business account? I said, no, they're too expensive. She said, you can get free banking. Come meet me at my um, office, and we'll set you up a bank account. So I met her at her office. And after that first meeting, I got a call off of somebody else, and he said, the bank manager just told me to get in touch with you. I'm setting up an estate agent and um, need a website off you. So, boom, like... The bank manager started referring me yeah. work. So I met with this estate agent guy, and the estate agent goes, you seem good at what you do, right? Because like, I'd had a bit of a portfolio at this point. Obviously, you're rattling out these websites yeah. over a few days kind of things. And um, he goes, I've got a spare desk in my estate agency. You can rent that desk off of me. But in return, what I'll do for you is I know a lot of people all around this area. I've been doing different businesses, pot in and out yeah. of different businesses. I'll get them all to come to you for a website. Don't you worry about it. And uh, obviously me being 21 or 22 at the time, he was about 40-odd. He was established. Yeah. And he was reasonably successful. He was driving his Range Rover and everything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lo and behold, like guess what? Yeah. <laughs> but he started referring people to me. Wow. Right? And they were coming through thick and fast, like genuinely coming through thick and fast, down to the point where his brother met us and his brother started referring people to me. And then the network grew so rapidly yeah. from there because once you've done a work for like one chunk of people, it was people that they're talking to, they're talking to. And you got to remember the level that we were at was the level at where most people go and get a website for a few hundred quid or a thousand pound kind of thing. But nine times out of ten, that website's never finished off. There's empty pages, there's empty content, roddy, roddy, roddy. My attention to detail in terms of actually making sure the entire project was delivered, fully working, tested, and properly delivered and handed over to them, they were overwhelmed with the results. So I remember finding out that there was a couple of other people that used to be recommended to people within that area. Mm. They both went out of business because of me coming <laughs> along, charging the same prices as them. But because I was actually delivering, like I got the business. So then it came down to, again, like I said before, just doing a better job yeah. and having that freedom to do a better job. So yeah, it was just literally all referrals. So it was all those... So it was those first two or three talks where you just stood up for 15, 20 minutes. So, yeah. And hours worth of speaking yeah. has got us to this point. Yeah, yeah, now. yeah. And what advice would you give to someone else starting up in 2019? Because I guess there's a lot more, well, there's different social media options, mm. there's different ways potentially of going to market mm. uh, in a digital way. Would you give anyone any advice sort of, of, of trying to trying to get going? The first thing that I'd say is that what I'm seeing a lot of these days is people who just going from experience of our industry, people with a newfangled idea. Mm-hmm. I've got an idea for an app. I've got a new idea for the new Facebook. Right. In these situations, listen to the professionals and actually see what they say. If they say, I believe in your idea and I believe in your app, then ask yourself, have I got the market and budget to be able to push this out? If the answer is no, just maybe reconsider and knock it on the head. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to, there's almost, as soon as you get out of the, I've got an idea that's going to be like this get rich quick, like product kind of thing. Yeah. As soon as you get yourself out of that mind frame and you start looking at, all right, here's a tangible business that will have clients that will be paying me and has got a tangible route to market of something that I am a specialist in. It's what advice would you give that person? That's a really good question because I don't think it's just one piece no. that you can give them. 
okay, so let's just say they only have two hours a week mm. to market, advertise, promote mm. their business. What activity or, or what options, I guess, would you suggest? The one thing that I would recommend to anyone, and I think that what tends to happen... You know what? It's a difficult question for a number of reasons, yeah. If you're young and you don't know anyone, mm-hmm. right, which is how I was, yeah, you, need to go, <laughs> yeah, you need to go out and you need to meet people, yeah. right, because people are the drivers of any business, of yeah. any product, of any service. They're the ones that are going to grow your business. Yeah. So it's about networking with the right sorts yeah. of people. Not necessarily trying to sell to everyone, just getting your name out there and talking to the right sort of people, yeah. Yeah. And be it like-minded people or people from other like environments kind of thing it's what you need to do yeah yeah um outside of that if you're already in your 30s and you've worked in industry kind of thing um and you're coming out of that to set up on your own don't think it's just as easy as what your employers how like the work coming in is as easy as it is so focus on how your product offering is going to be different how you want to approach it and I don't know, that, that one's a little bit more difficult yeah. because, again, the people that you're talking to and the people that you know are already coming from the place that you've already been working at. So it's, yeah. it's such a difficult one because, like I said, it's all on people. It's all about being able to sell your services and starting from scratch when you're really, really good at something is still just as difficult as yeah. not being good at it kind of thing because you've got to get your name out somewhere. Yeah, definitely. And I yeah. think if you're coming from a place where you've never had to market or advertise mm. and you don't know who to ask, let's just say they don't know someone like yourself as a friend yeah. or someone they can just pick up the phone and have a chat with, mm. it's just to read mm. as much information as possible and try and find unbiased sources from people who aren't going to try and yeah. sell you a marketing strategy. Oh, yeah. You know, like you see the you see the images on Facebook, don't you? Oh, it's like cringe. some guy in a private jet. Yeah. It's like how I got six one million dollar clients. Yeah, but, but get rich quick schemes guide. don't work, otherwise everybody would be rich. No. Like and as soon as you realise that yeah. that this is gonna take slog. Yeah. You need to assess yourself first yeah. before you look at marketing, before you look at these two hours. Yeah. Have I got the right personality to be able to yeah. do this and, and the to right be able service to make it work? And value. Yeah. Yeah. And am I going to lose my house over it? Like, do you know what I mean? This is what you need to ask yourself. Yeah. Because I feel like when you come in at young, you don't have anything to lose. No. If you come in at a bit older, there's a lot yeah, more to lose. Family, kids. Yeah. Well, yeah, we know stories of mm. where that's happened, so it's yeah. not something not to be. No, exactly. Yeah. And it is one of those things that you need to be legitimately, like, brutal with yourself. Like, have I missed the boat? Or have I got something re- better. that's better that I can take to market. Sometimes I would even go as far as saying, if you feel like you've got something better, make an agreement with somebody else who's already doing it really, really well, and say, if I can make it better, then why don't we do this to, with each other? Yes, yeah. you might need to take a lion's share of the money that it earns, but at least I'll be able to grow it on top of what you've already got. It's not always about being selfish and saying, I'm going to do this on my own. Yeah, 100% me. Mm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think Jeff Bezos did that very early on with Amazon. Did he? Didn't he? Yeah, where he just... I don't know how much, but I know a chunk went to VC. Right, to, to, yeah. yeah. To VC firms, mm. and what you rather have a, a very small percentage of a exactly, huge exactly, pie, yeah, huge, yeah, yeah. <laughs> still understatement, mm. um, or a hundred percent of Amazon that never did anything because exactly, never had the capital early exactly, on. yes. And something else came along mm. and sort of um, swiped yeah. it all. Okay, that's really interesting, and I guess um, I've got a couple more questions. 
Um, if you could give advice to a smart college student mm-hmm. about to enter the real world, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them? You don't know anything. <laughs> no, 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 but seriously, though. Okay, then. Right. Okay, so that's what you tell them. Yeah. What advice would you give to them to maybe learn some things? Accept that you don't know anything. Okay. Right. Right. And start from there. Look for mentors yeah. who you can learn from. Yeah. Look for people who you want to be like yeah. and learn from them. But don't think that you deserve to be them, right? And don't think that you will be them either just by reading their book or listening to their podcast. Try to find somebody else. No, 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 but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, like, oh, no, exactly. You can't just... Yeah. Somebody listen to this can't just go and set up a digital agency and do no. what we're doing or set up an accountancy firm and no. do what you're doing. There's lessons to be taken from it. Yeah. We can't take it. I know people who feel like they deserve success, yeah. but they're not prepared to put the graft in. Put the graft in, and th- th- there is graft. Yeah. Like whether you like it or not, there's graft on every single side of it. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, as you just mentioned, there's a lot of graft that went in onto his side. Oh, he and difficult decisions, doesn't it? Effectively, learned right? some big lessons, I'm sure. As has everyone in business. Yeah. Now, after that piece of advice, I would say. If you can find somebody close at the home who can work as a mentor and advise you on different steps, it might be, even if you want to start up on your own, get industry experience first. Yeah. Maybe, even if it's just for a few years, yeah. right? Or figure out some sort of way in, basically, where you don't have to necessarily start at the bottom trying to figure it out on your own because it's a long, hard struggle. <laughs> and I genuinely feel like if I'd had a bit of industry experience behind me and I'd known being able to legitimately be able to understand my value earlier on would have been twice three times as big as we are right now do you think we would have taken the same path though I don't know I don't know there, there's elements of me that say it was only when I found out what other people were doing that I realised how good we were yeah and before that point I wasn't doing as I, I was doing really well in terms of the products I was putting out but they weren't valued properly yeah again soon you realize that you're better then you understand like actually do you know what i can do really really well at this and this yeah. is why i'm better and yeah. i understand this how the game works yeah yeah i'm great and mm. this is how yeah obviously you're not putting them down when you're pitching but no. when you if you understand it innately then you're, you're going in there with confidence well yeah. if you want the best then you need to work with us like yeah there's, there's nobody <laughs> like us like, it's a no-brainer yeah, what it's are you talking like, about you don't come across as arrogant but almost mm. an arrogance of your skills and ability Mm. Um, arrogance may be the wrong word, but confidence. Yeah, that, that comes across, and then will, um, and then will feed. Well, give give your client confidence. That's what you, that, no, that, that is that's exactly what they it. want. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, they yeah. want it because if they're parting with a lot of money <laughs> mm. for for any business, plus a decent retainer for social, um, SEO, etc., they need to know that you're going to deliver, don't they? Yeah, not exactly. Yeah, would you give any? Knowing what you know now, would you give any advice to your 20-year-old self? Um, go work for Google. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take some share options. Yeah. No, shall I tell you what it is? There's one thing that I learned, and it is a lesson that I've learned in the past few years, which is um, I'm happy about the journey that I've taken. Yeah. But the, the, the grass always feels greener. Well, sometimes it feels greener. The most recent one is people who've gone into corporate finance, right? Yeah. 
or private equity, who went into private equity as a, as a job option, yeah, where they start up a fund and somebody gifts them £50 million to, just to play with, basically, have a go with this £50 million, see how you get on. And that £50 million turns to £500 million, and it turns to... Do you see what I mean? It turns bigger and bigger and bigger, and each time you're getting a percentage share of that and bonus of that, it's an easy way to make money, right? And if all you care about is money, then that's a way that you go down it. I would have given myself that advice because one thing that I realised was from being in this position that I'm in now, I'll never really be... Amazon rich by running a digital agency. I don't feel like there's accountancy that that'll be Amazon rich by running an accountancy firm. So it's a case of what lifestyle do you want and understand that lifestyle comes first before money, but figure out everything that you want in terms of that lifestyle and then in turn figure out how you're going to be able to generate the money to fund that lifestyle without killing yourself. And I feel like that's the most important thing because there's enough points where I was killing myself and I keep on... I still fall into it every now and again. Like Mariam says all the time, you know, you don't go back into the old mad ways. I feel like you need to kill yourself to be able to make money. It doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah. And is there any books you'd recommend for people to try I mean obviously I'm going to suggest books I mean you love these mm. sort of business books and things is there any sort of books you'd suggest to maybe try and work that out literally four hour work week yeah, email. that's what I was thinking of yeah, yeah. No, that, that's literally it just them yeah. two well, they're great it? aren't they yeah well whenever I go to see a new client now if I feel like they haven't got quite got it yet in terms of where I need them to be I'll give them them books or yeah. I'll strongly recommend it yeah and um, the reason for it is I need them to be on the same wavelength as me in terms yeah. of trying to help them scale up yeah. so that they're not a hindrance to my portfolio. My portfolio yeah. needs to look good, and if they're, if I want to be able to deliver everything on my side, I need them to be able to cater to it. Yeah. If they hold it back, then kind of defeats a purpose, doesn't it? Yeah, great. And um, have you got what, what are your plans for the future? Obviously, you've got your six-month work pipeline mm. that we were speaking about before, but um, which way do you think your industry is, is heading? Um, on our side, the industries. I guess it's all fast moving, but it is fast moving, and I think that's where 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 our strength is, and where we need to keep on reminding ourselves our strength is by being innovators and being five steps ahead of everybody else, and always thinking of how can we make this better, yeah. and keeping that as part of the lifeblood of the organisation. And I think we'll be fine. We'll grow. We'll scale. Yeah. There's a cap on the growth that I can be bothered to manage is like, do you, you got Mariam I mean? she manages yeah, that yeah exactly no, no, but just even in terms of the stress and like the numbers yeah. like there's a client of ours who's dealing in um, million pound jobs and he told me that he had to um, he had to stop working on his new house and a hundred thousand pound that he'd been saving up he had to put that back into the business yeah and um, he was nearly in the. He, he was considering that he might have to fall the company because he was like 1.2 million down and he was owed that much. And it's like, do you know what? Actually, I don't need that stress. Like, the numbers might make sense within the business, but my house isn't a million pounds and I never want to lose that house. And I want to be able to have my own personal life completely separate of work, where even the numbers that I'm talking about and the risk associated with these numbers isn't scary. It's just 
manageable and maintainable. Yeah. I could literally work God knows how many hours and I could work my arse off all day, every single day, grow the team to be 50, 60 people, but at the same time, that 50, 60 people, that's all mouths that need to be fed, that's all drama that needs to be dealt with. And granted, you can put a structure in place, yeah. but even sitting at the top of it, it's the higher you climb, the harder you're going to fall as well. The harder you stand to fall. Yeah. And I'm only prepared to climb so high. Yeah. And once I get there, I'll just be happy just to... Yeah, that's along. great that you know where, where, you get, where mm, you're heading towards. Yeah. So if people want to know more about Unbranded Manchester, mm. uh, maybe a bit more about you, where can they, where can they connect with you? Um, LinkedIn, obviously, yeah. Hamad Mian. Um, or on our website, they can just have a little nausea around yeah. and have a read about us. But obviously, I'm a friendly guy, so you can yeah. drop me an email <laughs> at any point as well, Hamad at Unbranded nice Manchester. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, you see how you fall in line with our sales pipeline as well if I try to sell to you. Good stuff. Well, thanks very much for today. Um, no problem. Yeah, if there's anything you want to add, drop me an email and then I'll put it on the on the notes for the, oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah, for the show notes. Sounds the good. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. Nice one, cheers.